Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. I upload these episodes in advance, and they usually go up at around midnight on the Thursday that they air. But a lot of people probably don't listen to these until well into the day, and by that point on this week, I'm probably being drowned out on Twitter by whatever Smash Brothers news is happening. You know, as opposed to just being drowned out for whatever else is happening every other given Thursday. But we're not here to talk about being drowned out by Nintendo news. We're here to talk about Nintendo news from last week. At the Pokemon Nintendo Direct, they showed off an they showed off a remake of the original Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, the Rescue Team games. It's based off Red Rescue Team and Blue Rescue Team, but it's going to be one game all put together for Nintendo Switch instead of being split between the DS and Game Boy Advance. We haven't had a Mystery Dungeon game since Pokemon Super Mystery Dungeon back in 2015. Ever since the subseries got started, it's had a perfect attendance for each Pokemon generation until Generation 7. It's probably also the most consistent of the Pokemon spin-offs, too. We don't really get any more of the Colosseum-type games, or the Gale of Darkness, what-have-you games. No more Pokemon Rangers, no more Pikachu simulators. They haven't even tried a second Pokemon Snap or Pokemon Conquest. I think we're getting a sequel to Detective Pikachu, but other than that, Mystery Dungeon is easily the most prolific of the Pokemon spin-offs. For a basic rundown, the series' genre is roguelike, but very watered down and modified to be accessible to, well, anyone, because roguelikes are really hard. But in particular, it tries to cater to Pokemon fans, with all the familiar creatures, the types, the moves, that kind of stuff. On the roguelike side, this means that you're going to be crawling through increasingly long dungeons where the floor layout changes on each visit. There's no telling which enemy or item you'll encounter next. The thing about the roguelike genre that is ignored here is the fact that you don't suffer from permanent death every time you die and starting with a new character all the way from the beginning. That's one of the ways they make things easier. All of these games take place in a world where Pokemon are the only living creatures. No trainers. The creatures can all talk to each other like talking animals. Like other Pokemon games, the protagonist is a self-insert, and you give them their own name. You're the only human known to exist, more often than not, and in each game you've recently been transformed into a Pokemon with little memory of your past life. The popularity of the series comes from its emphasis on characterization and story, Pokemon games are known for being very light on these elements, focusing more on catching Pokemon and playing with your friends. It wasn't until later generations that they tried to add more story elements, and some generations still fumble with that a bit. Some do better than others. In the Mystery Dungeon games, we get a fairly typical RPG storyline where we follow our self-insert on their adventures and 
ultimately end up saving the entire world. Along the way, there's a colorful cast of Pokemon who serve as our side characters, especially our beloved partner character, our sidekick, our confidant, our mouthpiece who talks for the silent protagonist. This series isn't just Pokemon being experimental, though. The games were developed by Spike Chunsoft for their Mystery Dungeon series. They've made other Mystery Dungeon games besides Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, but the Pokemon ones are the most widely known. There's one for Dragon Quest, I think, one for Final Fantasy about chocobos. There are five installments in the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon series, not counting the upcoming remake, but only four of these are international. After Red and Blue Rescue Teams, we got Explorers of Time and Explorers of Darkness. This came out during Pokemon's fourth generation, as opposed to the Rescue Team games coming out in the third generation. It has a stronger storyline, even though more than a couple story beats were borrowed from the original game. Much like Pokemon Yellow, Emerald, and all those... There was eventually a third version of Explorers, called Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Explorers of Sky, or The Sky. It had all the Pokemon from both games, and there were also a few bonus chapters to be had. It's, by and large, the definitive version of Explorers. Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Adventure Squad was only released in Japan for WiiWare. It took the series in 3D, and there were three versions of it, all based on what type starter your Pokemon was. It also had a much lighter storyline overall. Not too much is known about these games, due to the fact that they're WiiWare games and restricted to Japan. For Nintendo 3DS, we get Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Gates to Infinity, the first installment to be just one game and not a pair or a trio. It was released during Generation 5. It brought the series into 3D for the non-Japanese world, and it took advantage of the 3DS's augmented reality gimmick. While it focused on a much larger principal cast than usual, it also comes at the cost of not featuring every Pokemon up to this point. Oh look at that! Sword and Shield weren't the first ones! Then we get to Pokemon Super Mystery Dungeon, also for 3DS. This came out during Generation 6, and this time they really did include all the Pokemon, though I think some were restricted to some kind of weird gimmick with Hoopa, uh, usually the legendaries, I believe. Most people, even fans of the series, aren't really here for the gameplay. Roguelikes are a bit of a niche genre, even when you slap Pokemon over it. You're just walking through mazes, looking for stairs to proceed. A lot of survival focus, too, with making sure you and your partner stay alive, and, of course, escort mission characters. You also have to manage your inventory. There's only so much space, but you have to make sure you have enough healing items, or status recovery items, or revival items, or food. That's right, you have to avoid an empty stomach, or you take damage. And if you stay on a single floor for too long, you'll be blown out of the dungeon, and the game will count that as a loss. And losses are painful. You lose so many items and cash when that happens. On top of all that, you're eventually introduced to traps, which are exactly what you'd think. Just a random bad effect that you had no way to prepare for. Have fun with that. 
The traps can vary from being mildly annoying to day-ruining to surprisingly helpful. There are, of course, items to counteract traps, but you don't always know what to expect. Then there are monster houses where you're suddenly surrounded by an entire mob of enemies. These are the worst. There's two to four of you, usually eight to ten of them, and they all get a turn. And they're not any weaker to compensate for the number advantage. They're all just as tough as the enemies you've been running into. If you don't stun them or teleport away, have fun wasting time and resources. Now, the thing about monster houses is, after they're introduced, you can probably see them coming if you see a room coming up ahead that's suspiciously littered with prizes. But sometimes you just get spawned right in the middle of a monster house when you start a new floor. There's no telling, it's random number generator. All of this is ignoring more unique, Pokemon-centric elements. Kind of like the fact that there are attacks that can hit everyone in an entire room. Let's say you're in a large room and there's a Dugtrio in the corner. Have fun dealing with its earthquake attack that will target your entire team for every step you take. We're not even getting into some of the post-game dungeons, which can go on for 99 levels when a main story dungeon usually caps off around 25, with breaks. And sometimes, these dungeons will throw more restrictions on you, like taking away your items, or putting you back at level 1, or making you go without any party members, or all three of those at once. So yeah, the gameplay is... Well, yeah, it's not for everyone. I, I, I don't know if roguelike fans would appreciate it as much. I have a friend, uh, she was actually on past episodes, it was, uh, Alex, she talked about Castlevania and Bob is You. She's the only one I know who really likes roguelikes, but she hasn't played Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, so I, I, I couldn't really get her take on the situation, but a lot of people I know who remember these games don't really like the gameplay, and, uh, I, I just tolerate the gameplay, really. I just play for the next story beat, really. <laughs> it's more about the story and the characters, in my opinion. And also the music, but, uh, mainly the story and characters. So, this will get into some spoilers. Philip, another past co-host, described the whole thing as Baby's first dark video game, which is probably accurate. It's not really that dark, but it's darker than you'd expect from Pokemon. It's kind of in the same way that Super Paper Mario dealt with the end of all universes, and Mario and Luigi Partners in Time had aliens successfully conquer the Mushroom Kingdom and take everyone hostage and drain them into husks. Just like those games, the Pokemon Mystery Dungeons aren't up there with Castlevania or Shin Megami Tensei by any means, but you still don't expect a Pokemon game to start talking about how the player is the harbinger of doom, or using time travel to retcon yourself out of existence, or how the world is such a bad place that we should just end it now. For young kids, this is likely some of their first exposure to any kind of narrative with these themes. For older people who've played plenty of Pokemon, they were 
probably just surprised to know that the game actually went there. So this kind of paints a picture of what kind of person would be captured by the storyline in these games. Of course, that means there's a wider demographic who don't get what the big deal is. They've seen darker stories, or they've taken off their nostalgic glasses, or they just don't care about Pokemon anyway. I don't think the storylines in these games are bad, but I do see where some of the criticism comes from. To be honest, I never played the originals, and there's a lot I still don't know, but some details did catch my attention. No, I came in during the Explorers games, specifically Explorers of Time. This was my first Pokemon video game, period, aside from Pokemon Snap. Then I eventually played Explorers of Sky a couple of years later. I used to tout Explorers of Sky as my favorite Pokemon game, and also one of my top five games at all, but the last time I played it was in late 2010. I mostly ignored the game since then, and only last year I really got familiar with it again. I was watching Jabroni Mike stream the game, and as he was playing it, he got a bit irritated with a lot of the repetitive dialogue and story scenes. Suddenly I remembered that this game likes to repeat itself a lot. And it also puts things in layman's terms a lot. Even when I was new to the game, I kept thinking, wow, they're really trying to make sure I understand what's going on. They'll refer to a past conversation and immediately cut to a flashback showing that conversation verbatim, even if it was only a minute ago. Or when new exposition is given, they'll have everyone in the room react to it, but... Usually they just say the same thing in different words. Sometimes you get flashbacks and repetitive reactions in the same cutscene. As pretentious as it sounds to say this, my tastes have evolved with time. I have more patience for certain tropes now than I used to have, and less for others than I used to have. So... That makes me wonder how I would feel if I played Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Explorers of Sky today. Would I still like it nearly as much? I don't know. My next outing with the series was when I played Gates to Infinity and Super Mystery Dungeon, both during college. I've always been under the impression that Gates was a bit of a rush job. Not having all the Pokemon, borrowing so many models from the 3D Pokedex app, having a lot more repetition in floor layouts, not to mention the game had fewer starters to choose from. They didn't even have a quiz. They didn't even have the hunger mechanic until post-game. For that matter, there isn't even much of a post-game. In Explorers, you had a handful of story arcs culminating in a battle against the true villain of the game. Gates has just one arc, and it's over fairly quickly. Also, for some bizarre reason, the player insert and the partner were always male, without the option to change it. At least in one version of the game that wasn't the case, but it was in most, and that's just one more in the list of weird design choices they made. For what it's worth, though, I remember liking some of the things about Gates. I enjoyed the fact that you had an entire team of supporting characters exploring with you during most of the plot sections. They weren't just cheering for you from the sidelines. The final boss was also very unique among the entire Pokemon series, because 
it wasn't even a Pokemon. It's just a giant ice thing. It could probably pass for a Gigantamax Cryogonal these days. Or heaven forbid, a Gigantamax Vanillux. This game also picks up a bit of narrative slack that Explorers dropped. It said early on in Explorers that Pokemon have been going crazy and immoral, but that's not really played as a factor into anything. In Gates, it's a huge recurring issue. All the townspeople are fair-weather friends. This is also the one I mentioned before, where the bad guys are just so jaded by the world that they want it to end, and, uh... I'll be honest, that entire mindset is eerily relevant to a lot of people I know. It's a mindset I personally can't stand, but there you have it. It's something that just kind of sticks out when I look back at the game now. Also, companion mode was broken. It let me cheese my way through some of the more limiting parts of the game. I really missed it when I didn't have it again in Super Mystery Dungeon because... I needed it! <laughs> Super Mystery Dungeon, which I'll shorten to Super from now on, is a game that I initially liked more than Gates, and in some regards I still do, but it's probably the one I look back on less fondly of the two 3DS games. It started off really strong. You and your partner live in a small village with a school that teaches the basics of exploration, Everyone tells you you're kids and that you can't do anything worth a darn, but you show them time and again. Eventually, you leave home, and that's when the game gets less interesting. From here on, the game steals story elements from explorers and gates. They try to give you a new spread of supporting characters very similar to the Wigglytuff guild, and while I won't say the guild were great, I have a lot of memories of them, and I grew attached to them over time. I, I didn't really get attached to the Expedition Society, though. And then, just like in Gates, the menacing legendary Pokemon has henchmen that you didn't know were evil at first, but then they're all overtaken by some non-Pokemon object that's actually the final boss. And this one has almost the same origin as the ice monster from the other game. There are good character concepts as far as Mystery Dungeon goes, but they never felt too fleshed out in Super, aside from the partner and Nuzleaf. I think even the writers were aware of how repetitive the series was getting, because what happens at the end of the main story honestly threw me for a loop. Like they were expect, I was expecting it, the game to end just like the previous ones all did, but then. They pulled the rug from under me, to the point where I don't even want to talk about it too much. Though, take it with a grain of salt. My biggest gripe with Super by far, though, is how weak the game makes you. It's just like Breath of the Wild. I like how this plays into the narrative of you and the partner being just kids, but it's annoying to actually play through. And the looplet and Emera system overshadows everything else. You need these to survive, but Emeras only exist temporarily, so you're nudged into prioritizing these when you see them in explorations. And the buff that they give you will go away at the end of the dungeon, so it always feels like you're actually kind of losing progress at the end of each dungeon. You're never making 
really steady improvement. Even into the end game, I never really lost that feeling of being weak. I suppose maybe they wanted you to use the reformatted party system and hide behind the tougher mons on certain missions? If not for the fact that the tough guys can just slack off and not be available for any stretch of time. One complaint I always have about the series is that I never feel a need to recruit a lot of side Pokemon because there are so many times where the game will force you and the partner to be alone for several chapters at a time. Gates and Super, especially Gates, did alright by giving you more assist party members during story dungeons than explorers did, but it still makes the randos seem like an afterthought. Overall, I'd say Super is the hardest game in the series, which incidentally makes it closest to being a traditional roguelike. Like I said, this is a hard genre, and Pokemon Mystery Dungeon is a significantly toned-down experience. In one way of looking at it, you could say I have more bad memories of Pokemon Mystery Dungeon than good, but I did play Explorers three times, and I had fun with all three of those. But again, I was much younger. I really don't know if I'd like Explorers as much if I played it now. I've certainly got a nostalgic bias towards it. In a lot more critical circles, I feel like nostalgia is underrated, as though it's not a legitimate reason to like a game. And that strikes me as a little too Vulcan. In the strictest sense, a game carried mostly by nostalgia cannot be considered a good, na a good game. No, I understand that. But humans are irrational and emotional. If something makes us feel a certain way, then we shouldn't put those feelings in a box under a bed and throw away the key. What does it mean to think that a game is good? Maybe my lenience towards a lot of video games is that I don't always see a good video game as one that's designed extremely competently. I see a good video game as a game that you can derive sincere enjoyment from. Usually the first description feeds into the latter, but all the same, I think that while my appreciation of the series is tinted with nostalgia, it's not necessarily a bad thing as long as I keep an open mind. And I think that can go the other way, too. You might not like it, but keep an open mind that the game still might mean a lot to someone else. Now, I should talk about today's favorite songs. Let's see, I, I didn't actually have one prepared besides really obvious one of being the Dialga theme from Explorers. Uh, that one just really... Just, it's practically the signature song. Maybe maybe the other signature song from Explorers would be like Swimming Through the Sea of Time or whatever it happens to be called. It has the same melody as Dialga's song, though. It's kind of a light motif. Most of the music from the series that I remember is from Explorers because that is the one I've played the most and seen the most of. Yeah, there you have it. Can't really say too much else about Pokemon Mystery Dungeon at this time. I might check out the remake. I'm more excited for this than a lot of the Galar DLC. Uh, yeah, just follow the BitCast on Twitter and see what I have to say about Pokemon and other games. Follow the BitCast on Podcast One's website and app. 
Thank you for taking the time to listen, and I'll see you on the next one. Listen to Bidcast anytime on podcast1.com and on the Podcast One app.